So how do you, you know. Now, now what? We're not going to have tech. Oh, there goes Lynn. You left and you came back. The cat. No, they knocked me off. No, who as did? Soon as, as soon as I tried to put a comment in the chat room, they knocked me out. Who would do that? No one's gonna knock you out. The brave browser does it. Oh, brave. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. Let's hope we can keep this show on the air tonight. I uh, was having audio issues before. Let's hope it works tonight. You there? Yeah. Oh, do we have theme music? Only if you want it. I forgot what it was from last week. <laughs> well, we used Ride of the Valkyries last week, but this week we should use... Uh... Whatever you want. Mm, what do I want to use? Oh, your wish is my command almost. Uh, what, what was I listening to? Oh, Franz Liszt, L-I-S-Z-T, Le Prelude, L-E-S space P-R-E-L-U-D-E-S, Les Preludes. You ever heard it? Uh, uh No. Well, maybe yeah. I have. I don't know. Let's I'll uh, probably have. I'll cue it up. It's a long one. It's only 17 minutes. Yeah, well, you only need to play the first theme and then fade it out. First minute or so and then fade it out. Okay, I'm just I'm just previewing it now, but it sounds like it's going to play, so I'll start that up in a minute. As I uh, warm up the show, everyone listening now is on the Fakeologist pre-show. This is not the show. This is the pre-show. This is where we send out all the text alerts, the email alerts. So if you um, want to sign up, make sure you send me your phone number at 810-666-1984 or 902-400-1984. And you've got some... Uh, Fakeologist forums up on on this, on your screen there. I can see that. I take it you're going to talk about that. Hello. Yeah, we could talk about that. Okay. Lynn, do you listen to the audio chats? Yes. You... Uh, not all of them, but they're very long. So yeah, but I do try to. Well, they're supposed to be, you put them on in the background. You don't concentrate on them. They're not that important. Right. Right. They're background yeah, noise. Right. With Tobias and Esoteric and Rick. Rick is uh, Esoteric, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's one Rick person is a... as far as I know. <laughs> he, he's like two people, though. 
He's that. He's got that much info. And I always wonder about Tobias because he doesn't tell us very much about Denmark, does he? <laughs> well, listen. He's a. Uh, he said he has a low IQ. He's in a group home. We did a whole interview with him. He's in a group home. Yeah, he doesn't like living alone. Oh man. I said, you know, you're pretty smart for being a slow adult. I bet you he took the vax. Everybody over there had to get no, vaxxed. No, no, he said he did not, I think. Denmark, the whole country, they made get vaxxed. If he's in a group home, I think he's lying. I, I, I'm almost certain Whoa. they would have made him get vaxxed if he's in a group home. Denmark and Israel had the two most rigorous vaccine mandates on the planet. Really? And Denmark, right off the bat, demanded it. And they locked everybody down, too. Okay, all right. I don't he's really... Not, he's not being honest. He's not. Okay, well, there he you go. Own up a, there you go, Toby. A, if, you, if you're listening, Toby, you better respond. You heard it from the great Leonard Tell. Like he's living in a group home, and, and they're going to let him refuse the vaccine? Uh-uh. Not in Denmark. Not in Denmark. No. Hmm, you know, maybe in other, there may be a few other European countries, but not not Denmark. Maybe Belarus, but not Denmark. Yeah, right. I, I don't know why he's. Uh, he told you he didn't take it. Is that I th right? I, th I think so. I I really don't ask. Somebody sent me a message saying, "Well, you know, Phil didn't. Phil took the vax." I said, "Actually, I don't ask everyone's vax status, but I assume a fakeologist is pretty smart." But how can I ask? I'm. I have to admit I took the tetanus shot because I was stupid for a second. It almost killed me because I'm allergic to uh, to these shots anyhow. Denmark started vaccinating against COVID-19 mm -hmm. on 27 December 2020, blah, blah, blah. Nah, uh-uh. They're saying it's free of cost and voluntary. Uh-uh. I don't buy that. That's Wikipedia. They're lying. They're lying. I remember it was the first one to have band-aids. Mandates. Band-aids. <laughs> Mandate. God yeah. damn it. It's like, here you go. Here you go. The 10 target groups in descending order priority are residents in nursing homes. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean. Well, nursing home. He's in a group home, not a nursing home. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so we're going to get a gonna get a no from Lynn on that. I, 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 my, my problem with Tobias is he should be coming on and giving us information about Denmark. I have learned nothing about Denmark from him. Nothing. So okay. I don't understand. What is he? Is he paying attention to anything over there at all? Oh, interesting. You know, it just bugs me. It's the old dogs that aren't barking. You know, just like fake nukes Phil says, well, why aren't there any pictures of this? This was such a big event. Or why wouldn't these witnesses like the Hindenburg? He says, why wouldn't any of the people talk about it? Yeah. Why wouldn't they get on camera and talk about it? You know, it's like, you know, it's I, I, the same thing I said about Craig McGee. He has been obsessed with whether there was a plane at the Pentagon or not for 20 years at least. That's too long. He's in Canada. <laughs> He's in freaking Canada.
You tell me there aren't also fake events happening in Canada that he shouldn't be covering and talking about? Never once. It frustrates me. It makes me think that really... Phony truthers. Right. It's just his personal obsession. That's it. Sometimes it's a grift. I don't think it's a grift in his case. I don't think he's making money off of it. But, you know, I could go on and on about this. But we're going to start. Let's start the show, though. Let's start the show. Brian. Brian's call the other night. That's it. Exactly. Did you get where Brian was coming from when he called in the other night when you were on the with John Robinson and, and yeah, Nigeria. yeah, he was like, saying he that was... it, it's not just him. It's not just Brian. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, it's like it's like a plague out there, especially among the baby boomers. It's called solipsism. We should explain that to people tonight. What that is? Solip solipsism. 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 Right. S o l i p s i s m. Okay, let's let's start the music. Let's 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 get this party started here. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. What happened? Well, he's he's waving his hands. You gotta wait. <laughs> what is this? A live performance? Yes, it's from uh, Statsoper Berlin. Uh, Are you hearing it? Yeah. All right, everybody. As this thing gets fired up, it's Tuesday, February twenty seventh, twenty twenty four. We're just listening to the opening music of the Liner Tell Show. It's called Les Preludes. Daniel Berenboim mit Berlin Phil Harmoniker of Berlin. You, you, you don't really listen to classical music at all, do you? Not lately, no. Right. None of you people listen to classical music. All you know is that shitty, shitty pop music. Right? <laughs> well, actually, gonna, I, I, I listen. I'm going to come down on people now. I, I really listen am. I listen to podcasts. When does this pick up? Where's the bridge on this? <laughs> you have the patience for it. Well, listen, we're in one minute and 30 seconds. It's 17 minutes long. Well... When does the disc jockey come in? All right, I'm just joking around. Now this is important because when the set, when the movement to censor rock and roll records took place in the 1990s, Al Gore. Here yeah. It is. Turn up the volume. Well, I got it on Max here. Well, wait, no, here we go. Sorry about that. List was a guy who discovered Wagner. And Wagner married his daughter. Rank it up. I got it on eleven.
that, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's three minutes into three minutes and twenty two seconds. And worth every second. And worth every second. I heard that they play this kind of music in uh, areas where there's a lot of crime, and the, and the and the crooks they just disappear. They scatter like bugs. Why is that? <laughs> I you, don't know. I, I never heard that. You haven't heard that? That's that's. No. Con- I think they were doing that in the New York City subway. Well, I'm sure it helps to listen to classical music. Yeah, some mm-hmm. of it. So is but, this food for the soul? Yeah, you could call it that, but it's a cut above. I mean, look. It is lovely. I, yeah, I, I got nothing against rock and roll. And to tell you the truth, <clears throat> there are a number of very competent, classically trained musicians who cross over into popular music and they create very original sounds. But if I could take you back to the movement to censor heavy metal and hard rock. Okay, when was that? That's on the Fakeologist forums. You're going to bring up one of your posts? No, I mean, we should all remember this if we're Americans, but you wouldn't remember it. You're Canadian. What do you care? Yeah. You don't remember Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore? Yes, I remember her. Organizing a movement that ended up basically, you know those labels you see? Yeah, it was the, the labeling for uh, to to right. censor. It was mainly rap, was it not? Uh, her target was like death metal, uh, satanic metal. That that was her main target. Rap uh, was mentioned a lot, right? But it, it, I think it was mainly hard rock. That 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 most of the examples they brought to the table and. It ended up the compromise was you saw that sticker on album covers. Right, the sticker on album the, covers, right? Mm-hmm. Right, it says, yeah, you can turn off that background music unless you want to listen to it. No, no, I want to uh, listen to the Lynn Ertel on the Lynn Ertel show. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, sorry. We, we can listen to so look, music all night. I, I, I was really stunned by this thing because. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's Al Gore and his wife, Tipper, that were behind this. Right. They're really scummy people. They're since divorced or split up. Oh, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. What did he, he, he took off with a masseuse? Is that what he did? I don't know. Anyway. Well, it wasn't explained, but I don't think she could stand. He, there was only room for one ego in that 7,000-square-foot oh, yeah. house. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So two people came to testify yeah. Before the United States Senate, in defense of their industry, D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. Oh right, he's controlled right. opposition. And Frank Zappa. Right. Frank Zappa. And I will never forget what Frank Zappa said to these senators. He really put them in their place. Very articulate. Actually. That video is probably out on YouTube somewhere. Here it is here, but we'll look at this. Here we are. Here's your buddy, D. Snyder there. What a freak show. And, uh, yeah. Suggestive lyrics from the likes of Madonna and Twisted Sister. And Twisted Sister Sister led to a Senate hearing on whether musicians should be allowed to rock without parental supervision. Wow. Yeah, parental supervision. That was the issue. So... I really liked what Zappa said because he said, look, he said, I don't know why you guys are singling out rock music, he says. I know none of you mentioned country music, which is written by people who have been to prison and are proud of it. (laughs) And it's full of infidelity and, you know, all kinds of crazy (laughs) stuff. Frank Zappa said it's like treating dandruff with decapitation. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, and, that's he also, and here's what's his advice to these people. Yeah. He said, instead of running around trying to censor music. Yeah. American parents should be introducing their children to the to the wide spectrum of available music, such as classical music, jazz, right, folk music, bluegrass. But Zappa particularly emphasized classical music because he had been trained in classical music. Next witness will be Mr. Frank Zappa. Hard to believe they actually had Senate hearings on this. Forget about JFK. Let's go right for rock and roll. Well, this was the 90s. But you're right. J uh, uh, Oliver Stone's movie JFK was released in 91. And then, then, then Clinton came in in 92. You would have thought they would have been talking about that. But you're right. Instead, this is what they chose to focus on. Well, I think more, pe more people could identify with it, probably. Frank Zappa has a Syrian look. He kind of looks like uh, Bashir al-Assad. <laughs> a skinny version of him. Well, Bashir al-Assad is skinny. Yeah, I don't know. This is going to take so long, but go ahead. Well, I'm just playing a bit. I want to hear if he has something, how he opens it up. Order in the court. Mr. Zappa, thank you very much for being with us. Please proceed. Okay, my name is Frank Zappa. This is my attorney, Larry Stein, from Los Angeles. Can you hear me? Could you, if you could speak very directly and clearly into the microphone, I'd appreciate it. Yes. Okay, my name is Frank All Zappa. Guests. This is my attorney, Larry Stein. Larry Stein, um, from the tribe. The statement that I prepared that I sent you 100 copies of is five pages long, so I have shortened it down, and I'm going to read a condensed version of it. Certain things have happened. Uh, I've been listening to the uh, event in the other room, and I've heard some conflicting reports as to whether or not people in this committee want legislation. I understand that Mr. Hollings does from his comments. Is that correct? I, I think you better concentrate on your testimony rather than asking questions the, of the, the committee. The reason I need Mr. to ask it because if it... I have to change something in my testimony if so, if there is not a clear-cut version of whether or not yeah. legislation is what is being discussed here. So Do the best I'm, you can, because I, I don't think anybody here can characterize Mr. Holl Senator Holland's position. Okay. Well, I'll carry on with the... Uh, wow, he starts off with a, with a question and gets derailed right away. Okay, well, do you want to hear more, or just, just should no, we... No, I mean... No. Uh, I, I, it's not necessary to repeat what Zappa said. He was very articulate. He's a very he, smart guy. Right. Mm -hmm. But his point was, if if you parents yeah. were exposing your kids to a wider variety of music, and especially classical music and classical American jazz, right? You know, then you'd be giving them a real cultural background, and you wouldn't have to worry about them, you know, getting into uh, well. It was his, his whole question about this whole thing about we don't want school kids uh, reading porn in school. Well, yeah, that's a problem now. But how many of them graduate and can read at all? You understand? If you taught basic literacy, 
You wouldn't have to have sex education in the schools. Kids could read it in books. That's where I got my sex education from, at the library. Of course, I could read before I even started school. I got mine from the happy hooker. Well, that would have been a little bit later, maybe, but... Uh... <laughs> Xavier Hollander. Yeah, I remember her. Yeah, all right. I just want to... So, thought... anyway, anyway, uh, that's kind of how I feel when I hear people get really deep. Into, like Mike Williams and the Beatles. Oh, the Beatles. Ah, they're so... I'm so fixated on them. Now, the Beatles were just like the monkeys. <laughs> they might have been a little bit more talented. Yeah. There wasn't any difference between the Beatles and the monkeys. Monkeys So, on Mike steroids. Williams, what are you getting your, your panties in a wad about, you know? It's not like these guys were a string quartet playing Mozart or Haydn or a full orchestra playing Richard Strauss or Wagner or Beethoven. Or a keyboard virtuoso playing a Toccata by Johann Sebastian Bach. That is real talent. That is real art. Not not most popular music. You understand? Yeah. Most rock and roll is, it's their three chord wonders. I, I hate to get into this, but. Uh, so, yeah, and I'm not, once again, I don't want to sound like a snob here. But. It's like people who are apparent experts in the Bible, but they don't know that it wasn't originally written in English because all they've ever looked at is the King James or the Revised Standard or, I don't know, the NIV, the New International Version, became very popular with the Jesus freaks uh, in, the, in the 80s and 90s. But if you say, well, what language was it originally written in? And they might guess Hebrew or Greek. They might. Uh, it's this United States of shallow. That's how I think about it. The United States of shallow. Well, all right. So, well, yeah, let's, uh, why, why, why I, I make a point here cause I posted in the forums. Okay. Under the, yeah. You can show your screen now. There's a chat section. Yeah. Takeologistforums.com. Anyone wants to sign up, you can make sure so you, uh, let me, give me an email. When you sign up to the Fakeologist forums, please, so I know it, you're not a bot. I get a lot of bots trying to register. So make sure you send me an email at ima at fakeologist.com and let me know you uh, tried to sign up, if you could, if you would. And um, Lynn is on there a lot. We appreciate that. I posted a link to a video. And, wow, it's like. Let me see if I can reposition this because the yeah, just lower the. It's a little, um, little too big. Just press Control negative sign negative on your number pad there to lower the size there. Well, I got to zoom out. You mean? All right. Yeah, zoom out a bit. I think you're zoomed in a bit. Yeah, it still does the same thing, but that's all right. All right. Try well, just give me uh, what you got there. Yeah. It's basically blocked out by <laughs> the head. The... No, I'll t I'll turn off the chat. There oh, okay. Go. Here we go. I could turn off all the. Uh, I could turn off all the this, the uh, things here. So I, I posted a link to a video on why music has gotten so lousy. Yeah. Why is and that? It, it it reviews the history of the consolidation of AM and FM radio, especially since the Communications Act of 1996. It actually first. 
the YouTube video reviews the history of the FCC and the manner yeah. in which mm -hmm. media has been controlled from the very beginning. Okay. Electronic media, beginning with radio and television. But uh, he explains how basically two or three companies now control just about all the music. <laughs> they, all the music that's commercially available on the radio. And they program it. It's, it's completely centralized. It's not like it was when I was growing up and you had local DJs that belong to your community and your neighborhood. It's nothing like that now. And then I also posted a link because I think part of this situation, the responsibility for this situation lies with the performers themselves, the singers and the musicians, who as people uh, seem to have devolved into lower and lower, lower quality human beings, more stupid, less talented, more greedy, and more opportunist, more willing to sell out. And uh, I post a link there to uh, an interview that Joe Rogan just did with Kid Rock. Or I should call him Kid Shit for Brains Rock. <laughs> yeah, what's the guy's real name? Some... That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what his real name is, but uh, I should look it up, <laughs> you know. But anybody who hasn't heard the video. Robert James Ritchie. Okay. He's a real winner. Well, this is the kind of stuff that a lot of people never even bother listening to. It's always been mediocre. Oh, yeah. But this kid, Rock, he's this describes perfectly his mentality. When the vaccines came out, he was one of the first to tweet, oh, I'm going to take this shot. Why not? With all the drugs I put in my body, <laughs> you know. What's the risk of one more shot? Yeah. Well, there's some <laughs> logic to that. Yeah, right. So he was pro-vax. Is that on your screen now? Or you're just uh, riffing? Yeah, the, the, the link to that interview with him is on oh, Okay, there. scroll down a bit. I, I can't see that on the screen. I can't get the full screen. I can't scroll on that. Oh, I see what you're saying. You go to the tab and just scroll down oh, and show gotcha, us what gotcha. you're talking Let about bring there. Up, yeah, I'll bring up the video. Yeah, there we go. Oh, I got to jump to the post. Wait a minute. Yeah, jump to the post. Yeah. Right. Fakeologistforums.com. It's a very good, uh, fast website. Right. So if I'm still sharing the screen. Can yeah, you I see it? it. We're all looking at Bill Clinton. Yeah, well, that was part of it. Mm -hmm. This Telecommunications Act of 1996. Like, America must have been sleeping when they passed this thing. It just, it just removed all trace of competition. And the other thing is... is this big lie they call net neutrality. Do we have to explain that to people? <laughs> I've listened a couple times on the No Agenda show to them explain it, and I'm I, I'm still confused. It's a Trojan horse. It's all about centralized government, corporate control. Oh, okay. So here's here's the uh, the clip of uh, Kid Rock. You want me to play it? We'll see if how much if we if I could actually play something here. Hey, go ahead. Know. You're on Palestine this week. Listen to the podcast. I don't yeah. disagree with what Israel's Can doing. Can you hear it's that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go in there and be like, you know what? We want our hostages back. If we don't have them back, clock starts now in fucking 24 hours. So he's pimping the fake hostages. Killing fucking civilians. 
thirty, forty thousand a fucking time. So you civilians better fucking pack up and fucking get these fucking motherfuckers and t- you you go against Hamas. You fucking go against them. We're not playing fucking games with you. But that's yeah, the, but the only thing people understand. This is what happened honored. in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So more lies on lies. <laughs> well. The, yeah, this kid rock kid shit for brains. Jay, what's the call in number? Look at the scroll on the bottom of the screen. Those are phone numbers. 810 1984 1984 Join the studio at fake11.com forward slash restream. Yeah, so he's propagating the bone phony baloney hostage story. As if that wasn't bad enough. Mm-hmm. He's got it and and this is this is an important moment to stop and make a point because I'm constantly flogging this idea uh, this French postmodernist idea from Jean Baudrillard called the simulacrum right. based on his work simulation and simulacrum um, this kid rock statement saying let's kill 30 or 40,000 civilians now, no, now nobody's done that yet but what I would say in response to all the fake videos we've seen coming out of Gaza and the possibility we have to consider that nobody has really been killed there, that's a very radical thing to say to people. Yeah. I'm sure most people are convinced that somebody's been killed there. Well, they believe in the hostages and they believe in the, the Palestinian genocide. Right. And if you believe strongly enough, you may actually go out and bomb somebody or kill somebody. Yes, this is the danger. Because and and they is- and these guys that rule over us, they always make us make our own decisions. They don't do their own killing. And that's what we were talking about. They always incite. They're the ones that incite the violence and start the killing. And, but the point I'm making here is that when we say this is a hoax where this is a simulation, mm-hmm. at a certain point, the effect of it, it really renders that irrelevant. Once the Spanish-American War started, no one was going to go back and look at the explosion on the battleship Maine and figure it was an inside job or maybe it was completely faked. It's too late at that point. Once the, once the real shooting has started... yeah. The fact that it might be based on a false flag, I know people hate that term, right? but a simulation that is designed to frame someone or create a scapegoat or point blame at a nation state or a religion or a racial group yes. falsely, which we recognize as a blood libel, that's what Jews call it, Jews call it a blood libel, it's the worst form of of bearing false witness, which is the violation of the Ninth Commandment, the worst form of it, because it can lead to real bloodshed. Right. And that's why I'm not, I'm never satisfied when people say it was a hoax, because it could turn out to be, it always is a criminal hoax, and it can lead to real suffering, real violence, real war, real bloodshed. It really can happen. So that's what a kid rock to me points that up. I mean, he's probably too old and not in physical shape to put on a uniform and carry a 
I don't know, an AR-15 or whatever they're armed with, whatever the NATO round is these days. Yeah. But you've got all these young people in uniform in the military, and they'll go wherever they're told. Yes. Wherever they're told. You had a, a caller talking about this, how, oh, yeah, calling in from Arkansas, from Bentonville, Arkansas. Gave us a whole rundown on the Dookie the foot. Walmart. Yeah, on the Walmart and all that. Yeah, that was interesting. It was getting good. And when he got to the part where he was talking about these young people, they're, they're just like in high school, 17, 18. Here's sign on the dotted line. And he said, we've got to get them to understand. When you do that, you're selling your soul to these gangsters. Oh, I, I couldn't say it better. Yeah, that's but, good. But what does it mean? It means that you're willing to 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 bomb people, to shoot people, to drone people. Nowadays, it's all going to be drones. Yes. Nowadays, a military recruit is just as likely, just as likely to be sitting in front of a screen with a keyboard and a joystick in front of them in a trailer outside Vegas somewhere, remotely guiding drones in Syria or Afghanistan or Yemen or wherever they're sending them. So the detachment now from the act of killing and and the actual blood, you know, you're like a, a 2,000 miles away, 3,000 miles away. Yeah. So it's become very abstract. And that is the nature of the simulacrum. At a certain point, you've created a reality that has nothing to do with its reason for existence. There may be no rational reason for the existence of this physical phenomenon. <laughs> but, you know, it's still real. So now we're told, and the country seems to be in an uproar. Oh, and I, let, before I finish with that. Yeah. Tonight I was listening to NPR, uh, you know, their nightly news. Okay. They did an extended interview with an IDF soldier who... I'm pretty sure they indicated had dual British and Israeli citizenship. Certainly had the British accent. And they played, he, his job was to be on the, he's in media. That's his job. <laughs> his job was to be on the ground taking camera footage of what was going on in Gaza. In particular, the Israeli army's assault on the tunnels in a place called Far Yunus, somewhere like that. In okay. Yunus, whatever. To propagate the tunnel story. Yeah, right. They were blowing up a tunnel. Those damn and tunnels. And you could hear them all yelling, yelling, and high-fiving each other, Woo! you know, as they blew up this tunnel. And he realized how inappropriate it sounded if this really was a combat situation. And you could almost hear him have to explain away. He says, well, you know, we were really happy because we collapsed this tunnel. And any Hamas terrorists that were underneath the tunnel, we knew we, we, we got rid of them. <laughs> That's what he was saying. And I kept thinking to myself as I was listening to this. This IDF guy, he's not stupid. He knows this is all a freaking lie. They may not have even been armed with real ammunition. They may have been armed with what's called simunition. Right, simunition, fake, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we talked rounds. about that, yeah. 
But listening to the interview with this guy with his perfect British accent, and I don't know if he was even a real IDF propagandist or not. I have no idea what his real identity is. But I began to think to myself, what evil people there are in this world that would try to gaslight us in this way, that would produce these media fictions that that propagate these false narratives and they know exactly what they're doing. It just, it, it, it tears my head apart. Marcus Raybach to... calls it the cult of Judah. You ever heard of yeah. that? Have you listened? Well, Judah, okay. Mm-hmm. That's just a name you're giving to something, okay? Yeah. You know, you know what Judah means? You know what Yehuda means? You know what Yehuda, come, what Yehuda is? Well, I think he's explained it, but go ahead. <laughs> you're not a Bible guy either, are no, you? No, no, no. I'm a fakeologist. Right. And and I guess you figured the Bible's a little bit fake too, huh? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell right. us. Yehuda, the, Yehuda happens to be the largest tribe among the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, okay. Have I got, I got you. Yeah, Israel? I've heard of that. Right. If you do read the Bible, the way the narrative works is this. Judah, there is no J. Yes, there's no J. I knew that. In Hebrew. This is more butchering, butchering of Hebrew and Greek by this fucked up pig language called English, <laughs> which I despise. What's your favorite language, Lynn? Wait a minute. You, you want to know why I despise English? Go. Go I ahead. I'm a spelling bee champion. Wow. A national spelling bee champion. That should be no surprise to you because I read a lot of books. Wow. Why are the Indians taking over on that now? Right. Until until about the eighth grade of high school, which was my first year of Spanish. And then I realized how stupid spelling bees were because there are no spelling bees in Spanish-speaking countries. Okay. Why? Well, think about it. Do you know anything about Spanish? I know about some of the Romance languages, yes. France. Right. French, yeah. Spanish and Italian in particular are unambiguous in their spelling. English spelling, as you know, has all kinds of homonyms. I was just going to say the word homonyms. Right. But that's not the case in the Roman. With, with, I, I can't speak for French. Because French spelling is very strange. There are no homonyms in Spanish. There might be, yes. There might be spellings that sound the same. Eh, it's very rare. In Spanish, if you know how to pronounce something, you know how to spell it. I challenge you to find any word in Spanish which has an ambiguous spelling as we have in English. Because Spanish was codified in very, very early in the 16th century by the Habsburg rulers of Spain, which then became part of the Holy Roman Empire. And they established an academy to standardize the spelling of the language and the grammar. This was at least 200, 300 years before the standardization of English. I tell you again, English is a bastard language. A very contrived bastard language. It originates from the Normans that conquered England. And they they invented English, essentially. They were French speakers. They were Vikings who had settled in northern France, Normandy. 
and learn French and become Frenchified and converted to Christianity and uh, developed a relationship with the Pope and everything else. And when they conquered England, after the Pope granted England to the Normans, to William the Bastard or William the Conqueror, once they conquered England to communicate with these Anglo-Saxon speaking peasants who they were ruling over, they developed this sort of pidgin language that had elements of French, elements of Latin, and elements of the old Anglo-Saxon, and it's come to be called English. But the language never got standardized. The first English dictionaries weren't until the, the late 18th century, whereas the Spanish already had a dictionary by about 1500. Same thing with the, the Italians standardized their languages, their language, Italian, with Petrarch and uh, Dante and Boccaccio, three greatest writers in the Italian language. But it's very hard to explain to you unless you're familiar with Spanish. But if you have any Spanish speakers in your audience, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Why, if you go to a Spanish-speaking country... They don't have spelling bees. They would laugh at the idea because there's never any ambiguity or doubt about how to spell. Everyone knows how to spell. Spanish. Yeah. What's that? Everyone knows how to spell. Well, everyone knows how to spell because the word is spelled exactly as it sounds. Like yeah. it's pronounced. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I get that. That's interesting. Whereas English. Why are all the best spelling beers now Indian, it seems? Do they have some kind of memory retention or? Well, it's like, why Why do the Asians score better on math tests? Well, they just study harder, I guess. Yeah, I think they study harder. And also, the Chinese have had the abacus. You know, they've been doing arithmetic for a long time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but there, I don't know. There could be a genetic, genetic explanation, too. I don't think so. I think it's mostly cultural. Yeah, I believe in the cultural thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I when I realized this... By about my, you know, my first year studying Spanish, I said, boy, English is a stupid language. English spelling is asinine. You know, how embarrassing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Hey, by the way, we're taking callers tonight, 810-666-1984-902-400-1984. And if you had any questions for Lynn, we're in the back half of the show now. So call in while you can. Secure a line. Just let the phone. Actually, we have a uh, the answering service on now, and it should even tell you what number you are in queue. That's if you call the main phone numbers. Otherwise, call us on Skype at Fakeologist, and uh, you can join the studio at fake11.com forward slash restream. You'll, will you take calls, Lynn? Sure, I always love calls. Yeah. Well, yeah, you yeah, were you're an educated audience. <laughs> you were you 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 are always you've always been a caller in or inner, and uh, now you're the now you're the host. Looks like we've got uh, somebody on the line now. Hello, caller. Where are Hold you calling time. from? Twelve seconds. Hello, caller. Where are you calling from? This is Willard calling from Florida. Hi, Willard. You're a regular on the Linner Tell Show, I think. Yes, I've been listening to her ever since she called in to Chris Kendall at Hoaxbusters. That's uh, a long time ago. That's like ten years yes, ago. Yes, ma'am. Come on. <laughs> I I had um like two two questions. One, do you remember Dave McGowan? Of course. And he, he wrote, wrote about, weird things. 
inside the canyon. Go ahead. Right. Well, he started off writing about serial killers. Right. But Programmed to kill, I, huh? Yeah. I, I don't think he caught on to the idea that it might all be fake, though. His well. idea was they were covering up certain real serial killers, and some of the ones they were putting out there were crisis, were like actors. Or, it was a very strange uh, analysis that he had. But I don't think he, he was... He was moving in the direction of deconstructing the whole serial killer narrative as fundamentally fake, but he hadn't yet arrived at that. Now, his work on Laurel Canyon, that, that's pretty interesting, yeah. And that, by yeah, the way, they... joins up with uh, Joseph Atwill's Manufacturing the Deadhead. I know... Uh, yes. Like, like Don, uh, Don Alvarado had... Uh, Joe Atwill on, well, that was to discuss Caesar's Messiah, but yeah, Caesar's Messiah. his work on manufacturing the deadhead is even more impressive, I think, because, and, and he did a lot of this with, with uh, Jan Irvin, who's kind of going off the deep end, <laughs> Jan Irvin, but as Joe Atwill explains <laughs> it, the whole hippie movement was the result of this project undertaken by people like Gregory Bateson and uh, Margaret Mead. And Timothy Leary was in the crowd, you know, a whole bunch of them. And that it really was cultural engineering. But go ahead, make the point you were going to make, Willard, about uh, Dave McGowan. Well, you, there's two of them. One is with Facebook. He opened his page there, and I began to post there. And, you know, he wrote about Wagon the Moon Doggy, the fake moon landing. Ah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then he wrote about the Boston bombing. You know, it's being fake. And I would, on the post, I would broach the, these other topics about fakery, and I would get banned. I would, I'd go to the website, Facebook, and I would get a screen that would say, we, we need your social security number, date of birth, blah, blah, blah. And he would routinely ban me. Have you ever heard of that on Facebook where they would ask you get a screen that tells you you need that information before you can get back on? Wow. That's interesting. So he didn't like the idea. See, so he couldn't handle criticism. That's kind of sad well, it, in a way. It, yeah, it was, it was really strange because I would get a response from his other posters. I would say, for example, at one post I said, okay, Dave, you're saying that – they faked the moon landing and they faked the Boston bombing, but in between those two events, no fakery took place. That's, you know, am I supposed to believe that that they just stopped doing it? But it's like you said, he was it was a kind of a strange analysis, and he certain fake ideas he wouldn't go there. Well, he had too much invested. He had too much invested in his SM plus narrative. Yeah, good that's, point. That's yeah, exactly I, I think you're problem. right. Now, what about the Facebook about, because it happened to me several times, and I'd have to create another account. Have you had that since you've been managing um, the Facebook account for fakeologists? Well, quite a few years back, I was completely banned by Facebook. So I, I started a okay. whole new account. So I've already been through, and... I've been subject to periodic lockdowns on Facebook where they say you can't post in a group for 30 days, <laughs> you know. You yeah. can post anywhere else, but you can't post in a group. 
Uh, or yeah, you this, cannot comment or reply for 30 days. I've gotten a lot of those. It's probably but changed because it was 2014 when this when this happened, and I don't know if he was the one instigating it or Facebook where they would require this personal information from me before I could go back on. It's hard to say whether it was a Facebook algorithm that was tracking you or really McGowan himself. How would you know? Yeah. Right, right, because he had a strange guy that um, – uh, kind of researched my background, and he w- it was kind of like a doppelganger for him at the time. So, But that gets to the second question I had about McGowan, his thesis of these um, musicians, you know, clustering in Laurel Canyon. Do you think that was a legit analysis, or was it more the baby boomers were a militarized society, so it's not unusual to have a background in the military? Because everybody I know practically when I was growing up had parents in the military. My own folks were. Well, that's like uh, we had a caller the other night, Brian, who said he found a listing on LinkedIn for me because I had worked for Lockheed Martin. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. I did. I worked for Lockheed right. Martin for about. Oh, yeah, that's months. right. Yeah. It was really remarkable because I never expected it was a social security complex. Hey, Brian, I probably helped process your social security claim. <laughs> that's what it there. was about that's what lockheed martin was doing don't you guys know they're everywhere there's millions of people that work for them now nice you can't have a job doing anything that has anything to do with computers unless you're working for one of these big corporations even if you're subcontracting in this case i was there uh i worked for this small mom and pop firm of about 35 people and I was what you call a third-party subcontractor. So my boss worked for Lockheed Martin, Assad Hussein. <laughs> and my boss, Assad Hussein, called me in one day and said, we want you on the team. And I laughed and said, there's no way in hell you're going to get me any kind of security clearance. He said, all you need is a public trust clearance, and I can get it for you. And he did. And you know what I did, Brian? I processed your social security claim. What do you think of that? I guess that makes me a CIA agent, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're funny. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what McGowan's guilty of is that you know we're a militarized society, and he's right. MSM plus, as you say, and uh, he just kind of was spinning a narrative, and but not to have any integrity with the fakeology points on his part. I just. Don't get it. Guys like Kim, man, why don't you go all the way? Because he talked to Chris Kendall on that. He should know better. Yeah, that was just ego on his part, right? I mean, yeah. obviously he was getting some uh, something of a following with his uh, oh, yeah. Moon Doggy and, and his stuff on serial killers. So, and, yeah, and you know, Colin that's kind of sad. It makes, you wonder, someone... makes you wonder about this... Uh... This latest land mittens is back to feeling good this with late, our weight management. This latest uh, moon landing here. Here's a story it says makes you wonder why 1972's moon landing is more clear than the one f- from this year, 2003 or whatever. Or didn't they just land? What was the latest fake story? There we go. Yeah, they're they're claiming that the lunar lander toppled over. Right, no. Here's 1972 on the screen. 
And they're saying it's more clear than the latest fake moon landing, which is I'm going to show here, 2023. Actually, here we go. So what's going on? Why are the videos getting worse? Well, the, the analysis that we get from Infinite Plane Radio is that they have a real problem with the fact that many of the Hollywood special effects used in movies are more realistic than the crap that NASA's been producing. Yeah. And, and at the same time, they can't introduce the cutting-edge digital simulation right away or the glaring contrast between the current state of the art and this old crap that they put out would be so obvious that it would already discredit the old material. I mean, who's going to look at something from either 69 or 72 and compare it to something that's being produced now and not see how inferior the old stuff is? So that's it's, it's maintaining that continuity. Uh, you know, that continuity of the of the the images themselves and the special effects and yes theoretically they will reach a point where the simulation will be enough to fool anybody but of course what does that mean exactly to fool somebody it's like how would you know what the moon really looks like anyway <laughs> like any simulation will do won't it <laughs> what's the difference yeah that's a good point <laughs> you know Well, thanks, thanks a lot, Lynn. That was all I had for the questions. Enjoy listening to you. Uh, I'll yeah, let you I, go. I, I'm going to go back and take a second look at at uh, Dave McGowan because, as I say, I felt like he should have gone back and revised his view mm. on serial killers once he realized, as you say, if this is fake and that is fake, well, what what makes you think they just started faking yesterday? You know, like Donald Trump says, right. oh, it's the it's the fake news. It's the fake news. Oh, really, Mr. President? When did it start being the fake news? Just when you ran for president, or has it always been the fake news? Exactly. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but he was one of the first ones that wrote an article about Columbine. McGowan was, and he had a and series he thought of it was real. Did he? Oh yeah, it was real? definitely. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And he has this sharp mind, is analytical, but yet. Gatekeeper. He these obvious contradictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Gatekeeper missed... or, or a blind spot. A blind spot, maybe. Right. Yeah, you maybe. You know what that blind yeah. spot is? It's ego. It's ego. He, it's he did have an ego. Did I listen to live music? Right. Yeah. And as I say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, four or five, it means somebody loves to be fooled. <laughs> that's all that's happening. <laughs> Some people are committed to being fooled. George Bush could not get that quote right. I know. <laughs> Got to catapult the propaganda. <laughs> now watch this shot. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of funny uh, George Bush uh, sound bites here. You know, you know, have you seen the video of when he was governor and how he's a lucid, articulate, intelligent speaker? And then you contrast that when he was president. And that speaks a lot to this idea of them being actors. Yeah. And playing playing a role. George Bush Jr. Jr., I'm saying, not uh, the old man. Yeah. 
Shrub. Du- yeah, Shrub, yeah. right. Yeah, because I've seen him interviewed when he was governor, and he comes across completely different than when he was president. You know, just, you know, projecting a totally different image. Well, I, I heard a recent speech he gave to a crowd where instead of saying he was talking about Russia invading Ukraine and instead he said invaded Iraq and then he caught himself and said I mean Ukraine and the whole audience broke out laughing <laughs> so and he was he's super still embarrassed doing that stuff. he's still doing that yeah <laughs> I'm trying to find all my George W Bush uh Clips, oh, my sound yeah. effects. Yeah, they they would kind of project him as like a buffoon. Remember, he would, they showed him at a state dinner, like talking with his mouth full and chomping away at the corner of his mouth and being sort of a bore. But, but there's other footage of him being, you know, the polished, yuppie, um, waspy guy he is, the family he came from. He was known to be an obnoxious drunk. And also, oh, total, that could be, yeah, okay. Total cokehead. Total cokehead. That could, yeah, that you could know, be. You had, you had yeah. college buddies of his who came out and said, oh, yeah, George could really put it away. He could really put that white powder away. So, <laughs> That's just more hearsay and all that. Yeah, well, that was, well, these are, it was kind of well known. I mean, it was talked about. I think they cultivated these ideas because they wanted to make him seem more human. They did that with Bill Clinton, right? Oh, I got a couple oh, sound effects of his. Here we go. This is an impressive crowd, the haves and the have-mores. <laughs> Some people call you the elite. I call you my base. <laughs> All right, a little bit of George there, Bush. That's George W. Bush, shrub. Yeah, so we have a couple couple of his. All right, well, thanks for calling in. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, Willard, keep listening. Yes, sir. Y'all take care. All right, have a good night. There goes Willard from Florida. All right, we got about uh, 10 minutes left. Do you want to cover anything in particular there? Uh, yeah, I, I want to address this historical revisionism question because uh, I don't do analysis of images. I'm just not talented at that. Mm-hmm. I've never done video editing. You know, I, I've taken too many hallucinogenics anyway. So, you know. Hey, I got a, I, I got a clip from uh, Dave McGowan on Kennedy. Do you want to hear that? Yeah, play that. He's a literally yes. a member of the family that died. And so I remember, you know, I, I can remember – I can remember their reaction to it, and, and to some extent my older brothers. So even though I wasn't old enough to really understand at all, I knew on some level that something really, really, really bad had happened, but I did not understand what it was until much later. But, uh, yeah, it was just such a trem- – it had such an impact on my family. Uh, my family is a very, very uh, very devout uh, Democrats pretty much have been for – you know, very long time, and they're also Catholic, so uh, they 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 definitely felt a real affinity for uh, for John Kennedy. So, well, was, I think he was uh, the most beloved of all American presidents. Actually, oh, of course, it has to be Fetzer yeah, talking about that, it. Yeah. I actually think that's one of the reasons that that he was killed. That he, or, or maybe not not one of the reasons that he was killed. I guess, but 
I, I think Americans were very much encouraged to look upon him with great affection and as almost a family member. And I think they really wanted the country to bond with him so that it would be as traumatic as possible when he was, you know, taken away. It was sort of a conditioning exercise to some extent. All right, that's uh, that's not very interesting. I'll put the kibosh on that one there. Well, it shows he can be fooled. Yeah. All right, what else you got? Well, historical revisionism. Okay, I like as, that. As I say, I, I, I'm not into image deconstruction, although some images are obviously fake. Okay. What I look at is document documentary evidence. Okay. And in particular, the internal coherence and language and details of documents and whether they're internally consistent, whether the narrative makes any sense, or whether there's clear evidence of forgery in a document. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if someone presents to me a document that they say originated in the 12th century, and it refers to uh, to the fall of Constantinople, well, I know that's bullshit, because the Constantinople didn't fall until 1453. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. In other words, it's a bad forgery. It's a shitty forgery. And we see these all the time. I will give you several examples. One is the Gleason map. The Gleason map, if you look at it, not only has all kinds of crude misspellings of locations, but it actually has the names of wrong names of cities. It has cities in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. So this thing obviously was forged and created in order to discredit flat earthers and make them look stupid and illiterate. And there's an excellent deconstruction of this by Lori Frary and uh, Lawrence Wright of the Flat Earth Conspiracy. And they spend like two hours going through this, dissecting the original Gleason map and showing how it's clearly a modern forgery that's been planted, been planted so that flat earthers will pick it up and run with it and end up looking like idiots. Mm. And they make a very strong case for that. Now, what am I getting at here? The birth of modernity is generally tracked to the mid-15th century, the 1400s, and in particular to a deconstruction of a fake document that is probably the most important exposure of a fake document in the history of our civilization. So, for example, we know that, to, to credit David Irving, when the Hitler diaries came out, a lot of British historians were fooled. A lot of German historians were fooled. H.R. Trevor Roper, sort of the dean of British historians, he thought it, they were authentic. But David Irving, to his credit, looked at the language, looked at the way it was written, and said, well, number one, At the time one of these entries was written, uh, the attempt to assassinate Hitler had occurred, and he had suffered an injury from the explosion. His arm had been injured, his right arm, and so he couldn't have written this personally. Mm -hmm. But then Irving went ahead and pointed out various linguistic anomalies, and this is what computer analysis is going to be great for. 
we're going to be in the future, we're going to be able to take texts and run them through detailed computer analysis. And they're going to be able to tell you from the style, from the style alone of the language, whether only one author wrote it, whether several authors wrote it, right? Uh, uh, what sort of models they have for the style of writing they used. And so this is what kind of what I'm getting at here is the most important such, uh, how do I put this, auto-hoaxing of a document occurred in the mid-15th century, and the document was something called the Donation of Constantine. We can only trace the existence of this document back to the time of the Carolingians, Charlemagne, which in conventional dating would be about the year 800. Mm -hmm. Historically, Charlemagne was crowned Augustus in the West by the Pope on Christmas Day, 800 AD. And to some extent, the church, uh, the donation of Constantine purports to be the deeding of the city of Rome to the papacy and the papal states, the surrounding territories, by the Emperor Constantine the Great. It's the single document that makes Rome, the papacy, the Vatican, a legitimate heir of the Roman Empire. Lorenzo Valla, an expert in Greek, Latin, other languages, deconstructed the donation of Constantine and showed from the language and some of the terms that were used that it had been written much, much later and that it was clearly a forgery. And everyone pretty much had to admit this was the case. Even the church had to admit it was the case. But the impact it had intellectually throughout Europe was like a thunderbolt because the, the perfect, the, how do I put this? The, uh, the church, the infallibility of the Holy See was forever wrecked and destroyed. And so Lorenzo Valla's exposure of the donation of Constantine as a forgery, in a way, indirectly led to the movements that became the Protestant Reformation, to Jan Hus in Czechoslovakia, who challenged the idea that the Pope was the vicar of Christ on earth, Martin Luther in Germany in about 1517, uh, even before that, John Wycliffe in England. So this was a real, really, the Lorenzo Valla's exposure of the donation of Constantine as a forgery is the most important, how do you put it, uh, a bit of fakeology <laughs> in the history of civilization up to that point. And I think we should adhere to that standard. I think we should use that as a standard for analyzing documents and documentary evidence. We should see where documents contradict each other, where one individual gives a different account than another, and we should compare them. And we should see, yeah, one of the things I do and that historians have done is they've looked at competing sources. So, for example, they would look at Chinese historians writing at the same time as ancient Roman historians about an event like Halley's Comet or a great earthquake or the plague of Justinian or the Black Death of the Middle Ages, which was reported throughout Asia and Europe. So we know something happened and we can compare those accounts. In modern times, we've had this 
explosion of forgeries. <laughs> it's a business. And the Pike Mazzini letter is one example of such an obvious forgery. Because when we trace its origins, the place there at its first referenced and quoted from is a a Canadian mm-hmm. researcher uh, from the Canadian intelligence community at the height of the Cold War in 1956, whose name is Guy Carr, C-A-R-R. Okay. He is the first one to reference the Pike Mazzini letter and make claims about it. And then he, in turn, attributes his sources to, I don't know, a Benedictine monk somewhere, a Cistercian monk. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the Pike Mazzini letter, it's ridiculous. For one thing, they use words like Zionism. The word Zionism wasn't even used until like 18, into the 1890s. Right. Actually, the term Zionism originated from Theodore Herzl, who was a journalist, in direct response to the espionage charges and frame-up of Captain Alfred Dreyfus in the French army. Dreyfus was accused of being a spy and selling secrets to the Germans. It was a total frame-up. The evidence against him was very poor. It was that They were actually covering up for another officer named Esterhazy, who subsequently fled the country. But Dreyfus was, was condemned and sentenced to Devil's Island. And a national crusade started in France to free Dreyfus that he was innocent. And it involved the very famous French novelist Emile Zola, he published in his newspaper a headline, J'accuse, I accuse, where he accused the government of corruption and lying in this case. It took about 10 or 12 years before they finally brought Dreyfus back from Devil's Island and apologized to him and restored him his rank as in, in the French army and all that crap. But because Dreyfus happened to be Jewish mm-hmm. and the Rothschilds took up this case in the French press, it became a worldwide case. And on the day that Dreyfus was drummed out of the core, you know, where they rip off the patches, and there was a crowd there, and they were shouting anti-Jewish slogans, allegedly. And a journalist in the crowd, Jewish journalist, Theodor Herzl, that was the moment at which he arrived at the idea that the Jews had to have a homeland. And that is the birth of Zionism. Right, right. It was right. like 1890-something. So there's no way in hell that Albert Pike would have known about Zionism. The term fascism was actually first used by uh, Giovanni Gentile, uh, an Italian philosopher, and later picked up and popularized by Benito Mussolini, another intellectual, and others like Julius Evola, and uh, uh, Gabriel D'Annunzio, a very popular poet. And, and the first time the term fascism was really used in print was in 1926. So, <laughs> I mean, Mussolini's March on Rome was in 1920. So there's no way that Albert Pike would have known about this. Now, communism, yes, that existed. Communism, the term communism was already in use in the 1850s because Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels had popularized it in Europe. But what I'm getting at is if if you look at the Pike Mazzini letter, you can see it's a very clumsily contrived forgery. And similarly with the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is really more of a plagiarist 
situation than a, it's a forgery, but it's also plagiarism because it's stolen from uh, a book called Dialogues in Hell between Niccolo Machiavelli and Montesquieu, the French philosopher Montesquieu. Mm-hmm. Whole lines were lifted out of it. The version that was put into the protocols was actually written by the czar's uh, secret police as a propaganda tool. Not necessarily just targeting Jews, but targeting liberals, socialists, uh, people who would have been considered opponents of the czarist regime in Russia. So the protocols themselves were sort of a propaganda weapon used by the the Russian secret police. And, and, And... released into the European press as the alleged minutes of a meeting of rabbis, which it doesn't seem likely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that the ideas expressed in the protocols have validity. So someone should have published them and said, you know, this is what I think these guys are doing, but the document itself is a forgery. So, you know, I, I, we're fakeologists. We don't just accept documents at face value. We examine them for internal consistency or inconsistency. If we see glaringly obvious impossibilities in the documents, you know, if you look at the Gleason map and you see that they can't even get the spelling, basic spelling of certain cities correct, and sometimes they have the wrong name of the city in the wrong place. So whoever created the Gleason map clearly wanted to plant those little uh, turds in the punch bowl in this document because they figured flat earthers would pick it up and run with it. And then their critics would say, look at this. How can this be right? They've got Valparaiso in the wrong country. They've got Rio de Janeiro in the wrong country. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to be rigorous and tough. You know, you know the way fake nukesville is uh, analyzing photography and video. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We, that's where I want to be analyzing documentary evidence. Absolutely, and I also want to source it. A lot of this documentary evidence is reverse engineered prophecy, and Joe Atwill explained how they do that. You write a document, and you say, "Oh, this really originated a hundred years ago, so it's prophecy." <laughs> we got reverse engineering of prophecy all over the place, right? Yeah. That's essentially what the protocols are and, and what the the Pike Mazzini letter is. So Yeah, and and yeah, the uh, the protocols. Did you say the elders the protocols, yeah, the protocols of the elders? Are the elders of Zion, yeah. with the learned elders of Zion. You know, it's you know, I'm not saying that its content is necessarily invalid. I'm just saying that it, the document itself is plagiarized from the dialogues in hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu, which is about fifty years older than the protocols themselves. So it's, it's a, an example of blatant plagiarism, but also forgery. All right, Lynn. Well, we've hit about an hour, and uh, it's been a good show. Very interesting. I appreciate it. Actually, and by the way, Al- Albert, I should say about Albert Pike, he bears closer examination because he was a very important general in the Confederate Army, and his assignment was to t- organize the tribes of Oklahoma and Arkansas in a rebellion against the Union. Mm-hmm. That is to say, to enlist certain tribes as allies and friends of the Confederacy. Just how successful he was at that is another question. But 
Uh, also, of course, Grandmaster of the Scottish Rite, author of Morals and Dogma, and pretty much the most important Freemason in American history. They still have a statue to him, or they took it down finally, I think. They had a statue to him in Judiciary Square right there in Washington, D.C., in the middle of everything. I understand it's been removed because he was a Confederate general, so, you know, and they're out of style now. All right, Lynn, very good. And uh, any other shows on that you're going to be on this week? No, you know, this is the only one I do on a regular basis. All right, I appreciate that. Hey, I, I want to say about Ingrid over at RBN and her show on Saturday nights. Okay. Because this is a subject I really want to tackle. All right, go. All right, so I know all you, this argument about Jews versus Jesuits. Right. All this stuff. Yes. As far as I'm concerned, the primitive, repugnant practice practice of compulsory male infant circumcision, mm-hmm. a tribal practice, is barbarism. Yeah, I agree. And to her credit, Ingrid on RBM has been tackling this. And I know people get into this thing about, well, you know, Jews, anti-Semitism, Jews, anti-Semitism. As far as I'm concerned, this circumcising of babies without asking them first <laughs> is a crime. You are, and are you an intactivist? I think, well, I have to say this for the Muslims. The Muslims practice is to wait until the, uh, the young boy is about nine or ten years old. Yeah. And then if he wants to do that. Have that done as an expression of religious commitment. He can make that decision for himself. I respect that a lot more than what Jews do with with uh, babies who have no say in the matter. Male babies, some of whom, you know, I think psychologically and, of course, physically are damaged from this completely unnecessary procedure. And the origins of how it became standard in a medical and American medical obstetrics, that's that's kind of. We can have a discussion of that. It's history and everything else. Yeah. But to me, this is an Achilles heel. This is an Achilles heel with the Jews is this question of circumcision. It is barbaric. I never. And we should have the, yeah. no hesitation in denouncing it as such. All and right. Shaming uh, them for it. Shaming them for it. Because it's primitive. It's tribal. And there's no excuse for it. But I tell you, when you once you lose the tip, you have no idea what you're missing, literally. And there's no way to re-simulate it. So... I have no way of knowing that. I'm just saying Yeah. the Greeks and Romans were so offended and shocked by this. It's You know, they admired the Jews for some things. Like the Jews did not abandon babies that were born deformed. They simply said this was God's judgment and God's punishment on the sins of the parents. And so they they kept them alive, (laughs) right? Whereas the Greeks and Romans would be more likely to take a deformed baby and, I don't know, abandon it kill it so they did admire the jews for that but one thing that, that the culture educated civilized greeks and romans that really offended them was this uh, uh what they considered mutilation of the male body by jews you know at the earliest possible moment and uh, the emperor hadrian in, in outlawed it and it led to a violent rebellion so <laughs> i i don't know could we outlaw this you know i mean as far as i'm concerned they're doing something without that infant's consent. And that is offensive to me because I believe in free will. Anyway. 
All right, Lynn. Thanks a lot. And Lynn at Fakeologist.com. And don't forget, this is Value for Value. If you like this show, Fakeologist.com forward slash donate. All right, Lynn. Have a great night. Be care. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Tomorrow, Fake Nukes Phil. He'll be back. He's back every Wednesday. Call in. We might have a couple controversial callers. They promised to call in tomorrow. Let's see. Take care. <laughs>